This conference will now be recorded. According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me once again in Proverbs chapter 19. We're getting to the uh, end of the chapter, getting ready to wrap things up here, and then cross over into chapter 20. Welcome. Good to have you with us. All right. God is spirit. He must be worshipped in spirit and in truth in preparation for the study of the word of God. Let's take a moment for silent prayer, calling upon our father and his faithfulness to set aside our distractions, to humble us, to uh, to bless our time of study. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do come before you this morning, thankful for truth, thankful to be saved and to be the objects of your grace and mercy rejoicing that the spirit of truth indwells each one of us that you are so faithful father to open our eyes open our ears and soften our hearts we pray father that we would be humble to receive the word implanted we thank you and we praise you in jesus christ's name amen all right and so um we've been looking at the 15th point in our outline and moving on to the 16th point of our outline this morning and so I'll get the slideshow advanced to where we are. We've done a lot of work in this chapter. Looking at the ideal man, looking at grace and truth, as it's uh, recorded here in Proverbs 19.22. I'm going to get the Bible up and on display as well. What is desirable in a man is his Chesed, his kindness or his grace. It is better to be a poor man than a liar. And so the elements of grace and truth that uh, demonstrate the desirability, that is what is desirable. That is what is most desirable. And the desire of nations is, uh, in fact, the, uh, the description of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And he is full of grace and truth, according to John 1, 14 and 17. And the tandem of, of, of chesed and ameth throughout the Old Testament is, is a marvelous study. And that's one that we did last week. So we're going to move on now to verse uh, 23 and uh, deal with the fear of the Lord that we see many times throughout the scriptures, throughout the Old Testament. And uh, we see the fear of the Lord leads to life. And that it leads to is, is supplied. It's really the fear of the Lord to life. And that's what we'll see here this morning. It's a toast if you will, like when you say l'chaim, to life. And uh, the fear of the Lord leads to life, provides for life, supplies abundant life. The fear of the Lord is life. And uh, you're not really living without the fear of the Lord, living the way that we're designed to be living as uh, those that are in the image and likeness of God, those that should be abiding in the word of God. And so um, the fear of the Lord leading to life so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil, unvisited, by evil and the idea of a visitation is uh, is significant because we want god to visit us we don't want evil to visit us and uh, we want to keep ourselves untouched by evil we want to keep ourselves uh separated from evil as much as you know you can in a fallen world and uh, this happens as we occupy with christ in the fear of the lord and so this is uh, really the bulk of what we're going to look at here today as i get my next slide ready to go the fear of the Lord is the prime ingredient for the faith rest life. And I tell you, it's uh, there's other elements that go into it as well. Um, but it is so essential that if you lose the fear of the Lord, you will never walk the faith rest life apart from the fear of the Lord. It's something that is absolutely uh, essential. What what uh, Ryrie would call the sine qua non, that uh, that is the Latin phrase that means if you don't have this, then you don't have what you're talking about, okay? And, uh, of course, with Ryrie, he's talking about the sine qua non of dispensationalism. That is, uh, without the distinction between Israel and the church, you don't have dispensationalism. You've, you've missed something key there. It's like without, uh, if you don't include peanut butter, then you don't have peanut butter cookies. And uh, it's, it's, it's just an ingredient that if you, if, if you leave it out, you don't have what you think you have or what you want to have or what you need to have. Um, anyway. It's a Latin phrase, sine qua non, without which not, you know, you just don't have it. And uh, and so 
I would I would employ that same mindset, that same uh, thought process uh, to uh, the faith rest life. You know, what do you need? And, and the fear of the Lord is key. And, and if you don't have it, you don't have it. And this is, it's stressed repeatedly in Proverbs. Of course, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so, uh, you're not going to obtain wisdom without the fear of the Lord. And you're not going to obtain this faith rest life as we see it here. Again, the verse in verse 23, it, it leads to life. It is life. It's just simply, uh, to life. When you, when you look at the Hebrew on this side by side, uh, Yerath, Yahweh, Lachayim. Just those three words. Fear, Lord, life. To life. The preposition Lamed there in front of Chaim, Lachayim. Fear of the Lord leads to life. And so, um, we, we can appreciate that. My favorite psalm that speaks of the faith rest life is Psalm 34. And, uh, so we can verify the point that I'm making out of Proverbs 19.23. If you think, um, uh, maybe I'm overemphasizing this. <laughs> I don't think I am. Uh, the plain language is the fear of the Lord to life so that one may sleep unsatisfied. Uh, you talk about faith rest. You can sleep satisfied, content, at peace. There's uh, there's nowhere better than to be in the uh, under the shelter of the of his wings or to be, uh, you know, uh, enfolded by God's grace. What, what a, what a peace, what a confidence, what a security that we have. The faith rest life that comes about in the fear of the Lord, unvisited by evil. Because how is evil going to come in and visit you when you are dwelling in the shelter of the most high and, uh, aspects there? Anyway, Proverbs 19.23 practically preaches itself in so many ways, but let's look at Psalm 34. So you can see what I'm talking about here. And it's my favorite psalm, I think. Some people would say, you know, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And all right, I'm not going to knock that one. That's a good one, too, for shepherding. Um, you know, they, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Um, okay. If you, if you want to argue about it, we can, we can discuss it and maybe, uh, you know, make your case. And, uh, and I'm not going to dispute Psalm 23 is a good psalm for faith rest. But I think Psalm 34 also is, uh, is marvelous for faith rest. And in particular, the way it links it together with, with uh, Yireh Yahweh, the, the fear of the Lord. And that's what uh, that's the link here with Proverbs 19.23. So uh, Psalm of David, when he feigned madness before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. And uh, this is one of the, the most the funniest episodes, I think, in the life of David where uh, he disguises his sanity um, because some pretty hostile Philistines, when they uh, decide they're going to put him to death, and uh, so he has to act like a madman in order to uh, to uh, to get out of there. And on that occasion, he wrote this psalm. He escaped out of there, and he wrote this psalm. And so um, we find that interesting. Remember, these uh, these publisher headings, pericope headings, those are not in the Hebrew manuscripts. Those are added by the, the Lockman Foundation or whoever your publisher is of your, of your particular Bible. I'm the, I'm reading the New American Standard. And so the, the publisher there, uh, includes these pericope headings, uh, as a, as an aid to, uh, understanding what's, you know, in the section or in the paragraph. But underneath this, these, these Psalm headings, these are in the Hebrew manuscripts. And so you can find these and, uh, and you recognize, uh, as it says here to David, uh, a psalm. Anyway, you have the pericope, he- not, not pericope headings, the psalm headings there. And usually speaking, they make up verse one. They become verse one of the Hebrew text. And so Psalm 34 one, when you're talking about the Hebrew is usually this heading. And then, uh, when you get to what we call verse one, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be continually in my mouth. That's going to be verse two in the Hebrew manuscript. As you see the, the sympathetic highlighting there, it shows up as verse two. And then to make things even more complicated anytime you're studying in the, in the Psalms, uh, very frequently, uh, the Septuagint numbers are going to be different as well because what we call Psalm 34 in the English Bible and in the Hebrew uh, Bible is actually Psalm 33 in, uh, in the Septuagint. And, uh, frequently they're going to be one number off. And, uh, specifically, I think that's because they combine Psalm 
nine and ten, something like that. Uh, the numbers get one off in the uh, in the Septuagint. Anyway, extra credit there in case you were curious. Let's look at the fear of the Lord here. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. And what's neat, we're going to see this. Not only is the fear of the Lord beneficial on an individual basis, but also on a corporate basis, that there are people that are going to learn that through his, through David's testing, others are going to be blessed. And so this blessing becomes communal, becomes group uh, oriented for a lot of folks that can rejoice with him in the uh, the deliverance that God provides. So uh, my soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And so personal worship, personal uh, thanksgiving becomes an invitation to corporate worship and corporate praise that everyone can magnify the Lord, that uh, we're not just, uh, you know, thankful on David's behalf saying, okay, well, yeah, good for you, David. I'm glad God bailed you out of that, you know. Um, and it, it's not a, a an impersonal thing where you're happy uh, on behalf of somebody else. It's actually a very vicarious, which we've been studying in Colossians, the vicarious nature of our spiritual ministry, that we uh, we experience that joy together. We experience the sorrow together. Other things that we do uh, corporately in the body of Christ. Well, this is uh, what he's inviting here. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. So that's the personal deliverance. That he was in trouble, so he sought the Lord. And answer came. So, uh, you know, prayer works. And, and even when we think it doesn't work, it works. Because he hears, and even if he chooses to answer in a way uh, different than what we would like, it's still an answer, and uh, we can be thankful that in his grace, he's taking us where we need to be. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed. They looked to him and were radiant. And uh, I'm kind of curious on the vocabulary there because I've been doing some radiant studies here lately um but notice you have the i and then the they in verse four it's i and then it's they and so uh the the people that are hearing david's testimony are are not looking to david and wishing wow i wish i was like david they're looking to him they're looking to yahweh the one who delivered david and so they can exalt his name together by looking to the lord and uh being enlightened, being radiant. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. And so the poetry here is fun. It's going back and forth between the I and the they, and it's uh, showing the, the, the blessings of being able to offer a testimony, being able to share an answer to prayer and an encouragement. And uh, and how edifying that is when uh, when, uh, you know, you can observe somebody else receive their answer and then just celebrate and rejoice, knowing that uh, that our own answers are likewise uh, on the way. So the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. And so here's the fear of the Lord. And in that fear of the Lord, we understand from our principle of Proverbs 19:23, it's that prime ingredient for the faith rest life. What a, you know, what a, uh, where else would you rather be <laughs> than to, uh, to be right there with, uh, with angel of the Lord encamping near you and camping around you. And it's a great place to be camping. Okay. And, uh, and so forth. All right. There's a, a song on my new CD is, uh, living at home, being at home with the Lord and camping around his throne. And, uh, where else would I rather be? Camping around his throne at home with the Lord. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Still in Psalm 34, verse 8 now. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Just, just taste, just a, just a taste. You know, all it takes is a taste. You know, if you're skeptical, if you think you're not going to like it, you know, you're making your kid eat his Brussels sprouts or whatever, you got to have a try it bite. Have a try it bite. Taste it. See, you know, 
it's good. And uh, faith rest works. Uh, fear the Lord. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. And so fear is uh, is recommended. Fear is, is uh, commanded. And uh, here it's a command. Fear the Lord, you his saints. For to those who fear him, there is no want. There is no want. And uh, he, he provides our needs. He knows what we need before we ask. Even if we have a season of testing, a, a season where uh, we appear to have a, a want or a need, uh, he knows it's there. He's taking care of it. He's uh, allowing that that uh, season of apparent want uh, to, uh, to demonstrate uh, the value of faith rest, to be a testimony to others so that you can offer the testimony once the provision comes. Others will look to that example and uh, and be encouraged. So to those who fear him, there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. They who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. I had a note on that verse for some reason. Don't know why. All right. Still don't know why. Um, come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So uh, it's it's highlighted. It's recommended. It's commanded. Now it's also taught. It's instructed. See, all the different uh, elements of the fear of the Lord here in this chapter that underlie the uh, the uh, the faith rest life that we're talking about here in in uh, Proverbs 19. So it's it's illustrated, it's recommended, it's commanded, and it's taught. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And uh, I think in context, it's the same group we've been looking at all along. The the group they they look to him and were radiant. Uh, it's the 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 group that are coming along to listen to David's testimony and to listen to David's teaching. See, testimonies aren't everything, and, and they're not enough. You know, you can hear a testimony and say, okay, that's cool. But then beyond the, the, the testimony of the deliverance, you want to, you want something solid. You want meat. You want the word of God. And if all you're getting is nothing but testimonies all the time, then that's not solid food. You got to have, uh, you got to have doctrinal teaching. And so verse 11, David's willing to provide that. David's not just a, a military commander and a king and a hero. He's a Bible teacher and he's, uh, uh, really very well equipped to, to teach doctrine since uh, he's written much of it. <laughs> okay. The agent in God's hands to write half the book of Psalms and uh, still blessing us to this day. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life? Now remember the fear of the Lord. If, uh, if you want life, if you want the abundant life, as Jesus talked about it, you know, it's, it's not just physically alive, but really living with the Lord. The, uh, the fullness of life as intended, uh, for the imagers of God living in the Word of God. That's life. So, uh, who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking. De depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Now notice how antithetical this is. The faith rest life, which is really life as as designed by God, this faith rest life um has to separate from evil that it's it's antithetical the idea of evil, which is why in proverbs it talks about not being visited by evil. we don't have the visitation of evil, so depart from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry so um Walk in the light, uh, walk in, the, in righteousness as you're fearing the Lord. Uh, he's going to be looking at you. He, his ears are going to be uh, uh, are going to be uh, inclined to uh, to to you as you pray. Now, when you go carnal, what happens to his eyes? What happens to his ears? See, he's uh, he's not going to listen to you when you're carnal. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. Of course, Satan and his whole program is going away. This world is passing away along with it. It's lost. The whole plan and program of this fallen cosmos is uh, slated for destruction. The righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. 
The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Okay, not most of them or not the really big ones. You know, it doesn't say, you know, you handle the little stuff yourself. Uh, but if it gets too tough for you, okay, well, then God's got your back. No, he, God delivers out of all of them. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. So count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Uh, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all, every single one of them. And then while we're at it, as long as we're talking about the faith rest life, uh, why not uh, throw in a, a messianic prophecy pertaining to our Savior and his work on the cross? He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Isn't that beautiful? That's, that's absolutely beautiful. And, and for this to be included a thousand years before the cross, you know, and you've got to be wondering, you know, what did they, what did the Jewish people do with this verse, uh, for a thousand years until, until Christ? Because it just seems like, you know, if you just kind of take a single verse like that, he keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Um, that would that would be problematic for, you know, what happens if you break your bone, you know? I'm sure there were lots of broken bones for a thousand years in the in the history of Israel. Uh and, and they would point to this verse and say, Well, how come my bone is broken? Didn't you say not one of them is broken? And so uh it gives the opportunity to evaluate this scripture and ask, Well, what's this what's this verse even doing here? And the afflictions of the righteous, uh, are we talking about Righteous believers in general, are we starting to maybe focus on the righteous one that's prophesied, the Christ who is to come? So perhaps there is a a messianic implication here. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. And so, yeah, I think when you get down to the close of Psalm 34, you're getting into a messianic expectation and um, you get the the promise of soul redemption. You get the promise of eternal security. You get even with evil slaying the wicked, the condemnation of those who hate the righteous. You know, I mean, you could almost uh, rephrase those last two verses there and see it in uh, expressed in. uh John chapter 3, you know, you can see uh, he who has the son and uh, he who believes is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. And uh, the, the distinction between the saved and the lost, those who hate the righteous will be condemned, but none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. That, uh, in, you know, there's, when you're saved, what condemnation is there for those who are in Christ Jesus and the eternal security of those who take refuge in him? view this as an Old Testament soteriological um, context. Anyway, so that's my favorite faith rest psalm. And from top to bottom, you get 22 verses there of of, uh, faith rest blessings and um, fear of the Lord admonitions. And so, uh, again, returning back to Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord leads to life. So that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. All right. There is a question that has just popped up. Let me see. How are we using the word for keep into not broken? How are we using the word for keep into not broken? I don't think I understand the question. Back in uh, Psalm 34, with not a bone of his... I don't understand your question, Lewis. You want to unmute yourself and ask it? Yeah, I was just curious. I mean, how do we? We're saying that the bones are not broken, and it relates to this keep. Well, I, I guess I don't see the how the word for keep relates to Jesus not having any broken bones. <laughs> Shomer that means guard, protect, defend. Yeah. Right, like Adam was told to cultivate the garden and to shamer, to keep it, to guard it, to tend to, to cultivate it and to keep it. So he keeps all his bones. So he's he's doing real good. Not one of them is broken. 
Anyway, it's fulfilled with Christ when he's on the cross and it says not one of them was broken. John 19, they came to the other two thieves and they had to break their legs in order to speed up their physical death. And when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. So they didn't, uh, they didn't break his legs. And, uh, so this shows that, uh, that he had done the work and he had, uh, given up his spirit. Anyway, it's one of the, it's one of the messianic prophecies that were fulfilled on the cross. All right. Back to Proverbs 19.23. So the fear of the Lord. And uh, keeping yourself uh, untouched by evil, we saw that also as an element of Psalm 34, um, and that uh, as you're as you are walking by faith, your life is uh, is is in His grace, in His shelter. You are undisturbed. You are satisfied, and uh, nothing like satisfaction. To uh, what a what a blessing in life. You realize how many unbelievers are unsatisfied. How many carnal believers are unsatisfied. How many um, uh, uh, immature believers are unsatisfied? If you think about it, uh, the blessings we have to be saved, to be in fellowship, and to be mature in growing in these things, we have three provisions, all of which are very satisfying, so that the saved, spiritual, and mature believer is triple satisfied, uh, walking in the light, uh, centering his his life in the fear of the Lord. And uh, so whether you're awake or asleep, Day and night, 24-7, you just have um, the, the shelter there, the blessing there, whereby you are unvisited by evil. And the verb here for visitation, I think we'll spend some time on this. But first of all, before we get to that, let's deal with the, the fear of the Lord here. This is actually the 12th time that Proverbs has featured the fear of the Lord. It is a, a pretty common theme throughout the book of Proverbs. And you'll notice um, where they are scattered in chapter 1 chapter 2, chapter 8, and 9, and uh, those are all in the, the parental wisdom portion of the book. The first nine chapters has five of those instances, and then chapter 10, chapter 14, 15, 16, and 19. So this is where we are now, the 12th time that Proverbs has featured the fear of the Lord. Two more yet to come, and some would say the most significant ones. I don't, I don't know if they're uh, if I would agree with that, but I think some of the foundational ones uh, that introduce it are are significant. But let's look at them. And uh, starting with Proverbs one, I'm actually thinking of something else at the moment. So perhaps I'm misspeaking when I'm highlighting Proverbs twenty two and twenty three. But we'll get there. All right. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so in the introduction of the book, way back when, 250 years ago when we started this uh, Proverbs series, and we introduced it with chapter 1 and uh, mentioned that this is it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, uh, of knowledge. And so without uh, without the fear of the Lord, you can forget about um Wisdom. You can forget about Bible class. That's why we start every Bible class with silent prayer to make sure that we're in fellowship, to make sure that we're humble, to make sure our attitude is appropriate. Uh, it's it's the, the spiritual equivalent of, of Moses taking off his shoes because he's on holy ground. We are approaching the holy God and he is teaching us today. The attitude must be the fear of the Lord. Same thing in, uh, in, uh, in Hebrews. We saw our God is a consuming fire. So, we have to render an acceptable sacrifice with reverence and awe. That's, uh, that's the way Hebrews puts the fear of the Lord. So that's uh, verse 7, the same chapter, verse 29. And here's a, a consequence for rejecting this. If I back up a little bit. He says, how long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. You know, prolonged uh, uh, ignoring of the word of God has its consequences. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you, because I called and you refused. I stretched out my hand, and no one paid attention. And so if you think about it, think about the giving over when you neglect the word of God, when you ignore the warnings, when you ignore the calls. 
and you neglected all my counsel, did not want my reproof, I will also laugh at your calamity. You know, he who sits in the heavens laughs. And a lot of times he's laughing at us and the calamity that we bring upon ourselves because we ignored his word. I will mock when your dread comes and your, when your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. See, he wants your confession. And if he can make you miserable enough to finally break your pride, then uh, then you can uh, be humble to confess and be restored to fellowship. That's what he's looking for. And until then, this uh, the consequences of our darkness are uh, phrased here pretty brutally. And kids get this. I love this. This is in the parental wisdom portion of the book. And you can teach a kid this and he can absorb this because children get this. Kids are mean and kids that um, they can tease one another and they can they can laugh, they can mock. You know, you fall off the monkey bars and you, you sprain your ankle, you, you hurt your wrist or whatever, and you're crying and the kids are laughing at you. And because because that's what kids do. They're they're they're, they're kids are mean. All right. And uh, <laughs> now the nicer kids, the believers, maybe they'll they won't laugh quite as long and then they'll come over and, and see if you're OK. Anyway, let me get out of this. Um, they will call on me, but I will not answer. Not that he can't answer. I will not answer. He's waiting for confession. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge and they did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. So they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. Now, instead of God's satisfaction, this becomes cosmic satisfaction. And you can be satiated. You can have a fullness, if you will. You can eat your full of, uh, of wickedness. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them. Complacency of fools will destroy them. But he who listens to me will live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. Be at ease. That's what we're dealing with in Proverbs 19:23. So fear of the Lord gets you there. Down into chapter 2 and verse 5. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. This is the readiness, the eagerness, the hunger. What's God going to tell us next? I can't wait for the next Bible class. So your ear is attentive. Your heart is inclined. If you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. So without the fear of the Lord, forget about it. Proverbs 8.13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth, I hate. This is the sanctified hate, of course, because it's grounded in love and it's grounded in the fear of the Lord. And you hate what God hates. If you fear the Lord, you're going to hate what God hates. And it's uh, it's the uh, the sanctified hate that comes from this. Pride and arrogance, the evil way, the perverted mouth. And this is uh, what we see here. Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Take that and connect that with what we're doing now in Colossians, and we'll have some interesting things, because it's in Christ, or hidden, all the hidden treasuries of uh, of knowledge and, and uh, wisdom and knowledge. If uh, Solomon could have had a clue what that was about, I wonder if he would have even finished writing Proverbs. I don't know. <laughs> you know, mystery doctrine was unknown and mystery person was unknown in the Old Testament as as uh, Solomon is writing the Proverbs and talking about where wisdom can be found. And of course, wisdom personified is Jesus Christ. And here we are in Christ and uh, the hidden treasuries are in Christ. What a uh, what a joy. And so while we study Proverbs and while we're blessed to study Proverbs, um, our positional truth uh, reality in the church is uh, it just takes the, the wisdom of Proverbs and brings it forward to an entirely different dimension since we are in Christ, where the, the hidden treasuries also are. All right. So that's uh, Proverbs 9.10, Proverbs 10.27. So that's all foundational. Those ones we've just seen are all foundational from childhood in the parental wisdom portion of the book. 
Now in chapter 10, the fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. And so now in an adult capacity, we realize uh, I'm I'm in my own generation now. I stand before the Lord. I'm not under my parental uh, authority and and uh, the umbrella of of uh, of protection and blessing. And and uh, now I'm I'm uh, I stand before the Lord in my own accountability, the generational accountability. And I'm either going to walk in the fear of the Lord or I'm going to walk in the, in the ways of wickedness. And, uh, you know, the one on the one hand is uh, is what life is all about. The real life, the true life of what we're designed for as uh, God uh, imagers living in the word of God. But then wickedness and how the years of the wickedness will be shortened. Proverbs uh, fourteen twenty six. You notice, uh, and this is in general, of course, the shortening of the life and whatnot, you know, the, the, the non-biblical lifestyles that uh, have the, the tragedy, um, the non-biblical way of life that leads to sickness and disease and death and, and hardship and, and so forth. And, uh, you know, the reason why uh, you get these gangbangers out there and, and, and they're shot and killed and the the average life expectancy is, is is horrible with that kind of culture and that kind of lifestyle and uh, as opposed to the abundant life in Christ living in the word of god the fear of the lord um, in general okay the uh the uh, demographics are more favorable to uh living the biblical lifestyle okay Proverbs 14:26 In the fear of the Lord there is strong confidence and his children will have refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. What a what a uh, good lesson and you got to remind yourself of that. Your parents taught you that when you were under parental wisdom, but now the word of God is teaching you this as a reminder in your adult capacity that it's all about the fear of the Lord. Am I walking in the fear of the Lord today? Is the fear of the Lord descriptive of my life overall? So that's Proverbs 14, verses 26 and 27. Proverbs 15. Oops. I don't see a fear of the Lord there. Proverbs uh, 15, 26. All right. Let me go back to 1427. And let's just search for fear. Yare. Sixteen. All right, it's not 26, it's 16. Okay. Cool. Well, let's just do this. All right. Typo on the slide. It should be 1516 instead of 1526. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil with it. There you go. And uh, if Satan's going to offer you all the wealth of this world, everything money can buy, and uh, the price to pay is uh, losing the fear of the Lord, you don't want to pay that price. Um, maintain the fear of the Lord even if you financially suffer, and that's much better than uh, being as rich as Bill Gates or whoever uh, without the fear of the Lord. So that's verse 16, verse 33. The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom, and before honor comes humility. Absolutely essential for the Christian way of life. Down to chapter 16 and verse 6. By loving kindness and truth. We saw this verse last week with our Chesed and Ameth verses. By loving kindness and truth, iniquity is atoned for. You know what? Grace and truth were realized by Jesus Christ. And uh, you could even consider this with respect to a... Uh, a prophetic allusion to the coming Messiah 
and the work that he's going to do of atonement. And by fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. So there's the uh, neat description there of uh, the Christian way of life. Live in the fear of the Lord. And find, uh, Proverbs 19.23, that's where we are this morning. The two more that are yet to come, Proverbs 22.4. A good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. The rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is maker of them all. The prudent sees the evil and hides himself, but the naive go on and are punished for it. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. We've been a couple times now that we've seen humility connected. Yeah, you know, the arrogant person is, is never going to submit to the fear of the Lord. I think arrogance is a, is a veto against the fear of the Lord. So, of course, humility is. Uh, so if we're talking about prime ingredients, we have to back up and say, OK, fear of the Lord is a prime ingredient for the faith rest life. Well, humility is a is a prime ingredient for the fear of the Lord. OK, and without uh, without humility, you can give up on ever having the fear of the Lord. And without the fear of the Lord, you can give up on ever walking the faith rest life. So the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. And uh, we've discussed this. It may not be U.S. currency. It may not be temporal life riches. But uh, the spiritual riches for the believer are, uh, are abundant. Thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. He who guards himself will be far from them. Trade up a child in the way he should go. I know a lot of folks are waiting to get to that verse. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. All right, so there's fear of the Lord in Proverbs 22. Finally, fear of the Lord, the last one is Proverbs 23, 17. Do not let your heart envy sinners. Give her a look at the sinner and say, man, they seem to, why do they get away with everything? Why do they have all this? And they seem to have this great life. Well, if it seems that way, it's because you're not looking with God's viewpoint. And uh, there's, a, there's a bit of envy there. And the envy sin has your spiritual eyes off. And you're, in your carnality, you're looking at it. Quit looking at it. Keep your eyes on the Lord. So do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. All right. So fear of the Lord. It's a common theme in Proverbs. We've seen it 12 times. And uh, two more to go. Beyond Proverbs, it's only used seven times in the Old Testament. Did you realize that? The fear of Yahweh is only used uh, those 14 times in Proverbs and seven additional times overall. The much more common phrase is actually fear of Elohim, the fear of God. And uh, more common than fear of the Lord is fear of God. And uh, anyway, so those are those are curious. Um, seven usages outside of uh, Proverbs in the Old Testament. We've already been to Proverbs, our Psalm 34, and seen those usages. There's so few of them. We can take the time and look at these here this morning as well. Let's look at these. Psalm 19.9. Part of the poetry here, which we've got to back up to verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. So this poetry here, the Psalm 19, you go to law, testimony, precepts, commandment, fear, judgment, and then all of them get bundled together in a package. You can't separate any one of them. They all come together for this, this life that we have in the word of God and the fear of the Lord, walking by his judgments, his righteous judgments. And so uh, a neat description there. Psalm 111, verse 10. Ooh, that's a typo as well. Goodness.
Let's see where that one might be. Because the fear of the Lord, there aren't that many usages of them. Psalm 111, verse 10. There it is. Don't know where I was before, but there it is. Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, a good understanding of all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. That almost sounds like Proverbs, doesn't it? The fear of the Lord. How about Isaiah 11? For fear of Yahweh, the promised Messiah, the promised Christ. A shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. A branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. A spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and strength. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. This was so characteristic of his first Advent ministry. It will be characteristic of his second Advent ministry. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he will judge the poor and decide with fairness the afflicted of the earth. He will strike the earth with a rod of his mouth and with a breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Remember, the millennium is a harsh kingdom. He's told to go forth and rule in the midst of his enemies. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Also, righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness, the belt about his waist. Anyway, the wolf will go with the lamb. We get into millennial prophecies here in Isaiah chapter 11. It's a fear of the Lord passage. Isaiah 33, 6. I just realized I found two typos already. I found one typo already. I can fix that right here, right now. It was verse 16, not verse 26. All right. Isaiah 33, 6. Backing up a little bit. Woe to you, O destroyer, while you were not destroyed, and he who is treacherous, while others did not deal treacherously with him. As soon as you finish destroying, you will be destroyed. As soon as you cease to deal treacherously, others will deal treacherously with you. So God has a permissive will, and he allows the destroyer to do what he does, and the treacherous one to do what he does. And he has a permissive will that removes restraint for the tribulation and allows Satan to do what he does and Antichrist to do what he does. But he draws the line and he ends it. You've got to be very clear on that. O Lord, be gracious to us. We have waited for you. Be their strength every morning, our salvation also in times of distress. At the sound of tumult, peoples flee. In the lifting up of yourself, nations disperse. Your spoil is gathered as the caterpillar gathers. As locusts rushing about, men rush about on it. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He has filled Zion with justice and righteousness. And he will be the stability of your times, a wealth of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. So, um, boy, you know, <laughs> Maranatha, right? Even so come Lord Jesus. Can't wait. This is um, the stability of your times. We're living in uh, in unstable times, and you wonder what's happening with this virus, what's happening with our nation, what's happening with our economy. What in the world is God permitting to happen? And is he going to cut it off? Is he going to draw the line? Is he going to end it? Or is he going to let it go? Is he going to continue it? Is he going to, uh, what's he going to do? And, uh, of course, he's going to stay faithful towards us, whatever he does. So whichever way it goes, God stays faithful. And this uh, stability of your times, that's a messianic promise, for the second advent of Jesus Christ in the millennial kingdom. Look forward to that. Jonah 116. You know, there's only seven fear of Yahweh passages outside of Proverbs. And uh oh, don't go there. Jonah. 116. And it's curious because it's not Jonah. It's the sailors, it's the Gentile sailors that threw Jonah overboard that feared the Lord greatly. 
and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows, you know. Jonah's pouting, trying to commit suicide, saying, throw me overboard. And uh, there's a revival going on on that ship. A bunch of men getting saved and worshiping Yahweh and sacrificing and making vows. And uh, how great is that? Finally, Second uh, Chronicles 19.9. He charged them saying, who charged them? Here's Jehoshaphat. Let the fear of the Lord be upon you. And verse should be verse 7 and verse 9. Um, yeah, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, returned in safety to his house in Jerusalem. And uh, the context here. Yeah, anyway, don't want to get lost in that. So, uh, you shall do in the fear of the Lord faithfully and wholeheartedly. So fear of the Lord is not used as frequently as you might think where it's linked, where Yireh is, is linked to uh, to Yahweh, okay? Fear is connected to Yahweh or Jehovah, the, the personal name for the Lord, the memorial name by which Israel commemorated the Lord. Much more common is the fear of Elohim, the fear of God. And, uh, you know, if splitting hairs and studying the difference between the fear of God versus the fear of the Lord, uh, I think the fear of God is much more general. Uh, fear of the Lord uh, demonstrates a, a, a greater intimacy with who God is. Uh, what is his name? What does he expect? What has he revealed? So fear of Yahweh is much more personal. Fear of, uh, of Elohim uh, is, is not as personal. And I don't want to say it's pre, it's exclusively pre-Exodus because some of these come after Exodus. Um, when uh, when God reveals the significance of the Yahweh name to Moses, and it becomes the uh, becomes the personal name for the Lord that uh, Israel uses ever after. So much more common is fear of Elohim, fear of God, and uh, we can look at these as well since we have the slide up and running. Let's see if we can find any additional typos here. Genesis 20 and verse 11. You remember Genesis 20? Abraham's lying about Sarah. It's now the second time he's lied about Sarah. The first time was years ago with in Egypt with Pharaoh. Now years later with uh, Abimelech here in uh, the Philistine. And uh, the reason why, and, and he wants to know why, Abimelech says to Abraham, why have, what have you encountered that you have done this thing? And uh, why have you... Uh, Verse 9, what have you done to us? How have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not be done. And uh, Abimelech said to Abraham, what have you encountered? Why have you that you have done this thing? You know, and I think that's a mark of wisdom on Abimelech's case to understand that uh, we experience things. We encounter things. We go through testing. We go through tough things. And it affects us. And we carry baggage for uh, for years later. In different ways. So Abraham said, because I thought surely there is no fear of God in this place, that they will kill me because of my wife. I thought there was no fear of Elohim in this place. And well, there was more fear of Elohim in this place than he gave it credit for. In fact, Abraham didn't have any. Abraham didn't have fear of God on this occasion, on this uh, moment of weakness for him. So he had the wrong kind of fear because he didn't have the right kind of fear. Thankfully, Abimelech had the right kind of fear. And uh, and there it is, Genesis twenty two twelve. Fear of God. And this is Yahweh speaking to Abraham at the sacrifice of Isaac. He said, or the angel of the Lord, Abraham stretched out his hand and took his knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And so it's the angel of the Lord who says, do not stretch out your hand against the lad. Do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear Elohim. You fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Fear of God. Genesis 42:18. Joseph said to them on the third day, do this and live, for I fear God. This is the ministry that he has with the uh, his brothers. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined and 
prison, but as for the rest, go carry grain for the famine of your household. So they don't know it's Joseph. They think he's just this uh, this Egyptian ruler. But he tells them, do this and live, for I fear God. In the phrase there. All right, we also have several more in uh, in Exodus. I'm not sure how many of these are worth. I mean, I guess we only got five minutes left. Okay. All right, well, let's look at, at these and then we'll call it good. Exodus 1.17, the midwives feared God, did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. The midwives feared God. This is before... Uh, Yahweh gives the significance of the Yahweh name to Moses. Because the midwives feared God, he established households for them. Exodus 18:21. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people, able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Let them judge the people at all times. Anyway, this is where uh, Moses gets some help. His father-in-law clues him in. And says you need God-fearing men to help you judge the nation of Israel. Fearing God. And, you know, why isn't it fear the Lord at this point? Why didn't Jethro say, you know, you want men that fear the Lord? Um, this phrase, fear God. So it doesn't disappear once they uh, learn the significance of Yahweh and develop the expression fear of the Lord. Uh, it still uh, continues on in various applications. Nehemiah 5.15 Former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine. Besides 40 shekels of silver, even their servants domineered the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. And so, you know, it'd be nice. We we want all of our uh, leadership to have the fear of God. I'm glad that our governor fears God. I'm glad that our president fears God in uh, in the applications here. All right. Do we have a question? Somebody popped up with a red chat bubble. Susie, the organizers, Pastor Bob. Maybe she has a question. If you do, you can unmute and ask it or type it. We're almost done. I don't see a question. Okay. That's Nehemiah 5.15, Nehemiah 7.2. More fear of God. I put Hananiah, my brother, and Hananiah, the commander of the fortress in charge of Jerusalem, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. Job 1.1. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. The man was blameless and upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. Of course, as a Gentile, two generations prior to Abraham, I have to double check and see if there's any Yahweh usages in the uh, in the book of Job. But fearing God and turning away from evil. And uh, he testifies to that in verse 1, verse 8, verse 9, chapter 2, and verse 3. And then several times through Ecclesiastes. Isn't it curious? When Solomon goes carnal, when he writes Ecclesiastes through human viewpoint, he never mentions fear of the Lord, but he does mention fear of God. And it's uh, it's curious to me, and even uh, and it may be that fear of the Lord is what we have when we're in fellowship, and that fear of God may uh, motivate us to get back in fellowship when we're carnal. It may be that even when we've lost the fear of the Lord, the fill of God gets us uh, gets us to confess. All right, here's the question: I've always had issues with fear of the Lord because fear seems like He's going to hurt me, hurt us. Does fear translate as revere, respect, awe? Or is this a problem I need to get over? Yeah, if you're afraid of fear. No, no, I'm just teasing. It is. It's unfortunate that the same word fear can be used of sinful fear, like you're scared of something. You're scared of, of, uh, of uh, you have a, a, a carnal fear. You're afraid of heights. You're afraid of sharks. You're afraid of whatever. Um, and so there, there is a, a carnal fear. And uh, a lot of the translators will use reverence and awe to try to, um, try to cast it in a different way, but it's the same Hebrew word. It's the same Greek word, you know, phobia, phobos. It's the same word for being scared of something, like I'm scared of sharks, and uh, or, or, or the fear of the Lord. It's called phobos. 
in the Greek or Yere in the in the uh, Hebrew. And so, yeah, we got to get over it <laughs> and realize uh, if we if uh, maybe if we had more fear of the Lord, we would have less of those other kind of fears, because uh, what shall I fear? What can man do unto me? So um, because the Bible uses the same expression in the different ways, uh, we need to uh, we need to recognize that, too. So good question. Appreciate that. All right. Well, it is 11 o'clock and that gets us to the end of this slide. We will get to verses 24 through 29 next week. And the final point of study for chapter 19 is point 17. It does have uh, A, B, C, D, E subpoints as uh, as we look at the final six verses and conclude the chapter. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for truth. Thy word is truth. We thank you and praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.